The History of the Britons, Historia Britonum, by Nennius, translated by J. A. Giles. Section 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Britons by Nennius, Section 4. After the above-said war between the Britons and Romans, the assassination of their rulers, and the victory of Maximus, who slew Gradian, and the termination of the Roman power in Britain, they were in alarm forty years. Vortigern then reigned in Britain. In his time the natives had cause of dread, not only from the inroads of the Scots and Picts, but also from the Romans, in their apprehensions of Ambrosius. Note. These words relate evidently to some cause of dispute between the Romans, Ambrosius, and Vortigern. Vortigern is said to have been sovereign of the Dimitae, and Ambrosius son to the king of the Damnonii. The latter was half a Roman by descent, and naturally supported the Roman interest. The former was entirely a Briton, and as naturally seconded by the original Britons. End of note. In the meantime, three vessels, exiled from Germany, arrived in Britain. They were commanded by Horsa and Hengist, brothers, and sons of Wickkills. Wickkills was the son of Witta, Witta of Wecta, Wecta of Woden, Woden of Freethewald, Freethewald of Freethewolf, Freethewolf of Finn, Finn of Godwolf, Godwolf of Geat, who, as they say, was the son of a god, not of the omnipotent God in our Lord Jesus Christ, who before the beginning of the world was with the Father and the Holy Spirit, co-eternal and of the same substance, and who, in compassion to human nature, disdained not to assume the form of a servant, but the offspring of one of their idols, and whom, blinded by some demon, they worshipped, according to the custom of the heathen. Vortigern received them as friends, and delivered up to them the island, which is in their language called Thanet, and by the Britons' room. Gradianus Acritanius, at that time, reigned in Rome. The Saxons were received by Vortigern, four hundred and forty-seven years after the Passion of Christ, and according to the tradition of our ancestors, from the period of their first arrival in Britain, to the first year of the reign of King Edmund, five hundred and forty-two years, and to that in which we now write, which is the fifth of his reign, five hundred and forty-seven years. Note, regarding Geat being the son of a god, in variant readings, not the god of gods, the Amen, the Lord of hosts, but one of their idols which they worshipped. The island Rum is sometimes called Ruikin, Ruthin, or River Island, separated from the rest of Kent, in the mainland of Britain by the estuary of the Wansom, which, though now a small brook, was formerly navigable for large vessels, and in Bede's time was the three stadia broad and fordable only at two places. The rest of this sentence, stating the number of years past, is omitted in some manuscripts. End of note. At that time St. Germanus, distinguished for his numerous virtues, came to preach in Britain. By his ministry many were saved, but many likewise died unconverted. Of the various miracles which God enabled him to perform, I shall here mention only a few. I shall first advert to that concerning an iniquitous and tyrannical king named Benlai. The holy man, informed of his wicked conduct, hastened to visit him for the purpose of remonstrating him. When the man of God with his attendants arrived at the gate of the city, they were respectfully received by the keeper of it, who came out and saluted them. Him they commissioned to communicate their intention to the king who returned a harsh answer, declaring, with an oath, that although they remained there a year, they should not enter the city. While waiting for an answer, the evening came on, and they knew not where to go. 
At length came one of the king's servants, who, bowing himself before the man of God, announced the words of the tyrant, inviting them at the same time to his own house, to which they went and were kindly received. It happened, however, that he had no cattle except one cow and a calf, the latter of which, urged by generous hospitality to his guests, he killed, dressed, and set before them. But holy St. Germanus ordered his companions not to break a bone of the calf, and the next morning it was found alive uninjured, and standing by its mother. Note. Regarding the king Benli, he is also the king of Pows. In variant readings, Benli is the district of Ial, in Derbyshire, and the district of Dalrida, Belenus, Beluni, and Benti. End of note. Early the same day they again went to the gate of the city to solicit audience of the wicked king, and whilst engaged in fervent prayer they were waiting for admission. A man, covered with sweat, came out and prostrated himself before them. Then St. Germanus, addressing him, said, Dost thou believe in the Holy Trinity? To which the man, having replied, I do believe, he baptized and kissed him, saying, Go in peace, within this hour thou shalt die. The angels of God are waiting for thee in the air. With them thou shalt ascend to the God in whom thou hast believed. He, overjoyed, entered the city, and being met by the prefect, was seized, bound, and conducted before the tyrant, who, having passed sentence upon him, he was immediately put to death. For it was a law of this wicked king that whoever was not at his labor before sunrising should be beheaded in the citadel. In the meantime, St. Germanus, with his attendants, waited the whole day before the gate without obtaining admission to the tyrant. The man above mentioned, however, remained with them. Take care, said St. Germanus to him, that none of your friends remain this night within these walls. Upon this he hastily entered the city, brought out his nine sons, and with them retired to the house where he had exercised such generous hospitality. Here St. Germanus ordered them to continue fasting, and when the gates were shut, Watch, said he, but whatever shall happen in the citadel, turn not thither your eyes, but pray without ceasing, and invoke the protection of the true God. And behold, early in the night fire fell from the heaven and burned the city, together with all those who were with the tyrant, so that not one escaped, and that citadel has never been rebuilt even to this day. The following day, the hospitable man who had been converted by the preaching of St. Germanus was baptized with his sons and all the inhabitants of that part of the country. And St. Germanus blessed him, saying, A king shall not be wanting of thy seed for ever. The name of this person is Catel Drunlu. From henceforward thou shalt be a king of all the days of thy life. Thus was fulfilled the prophecy of the psalmist. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the needy out of the dunghill. And agreeably to this prediction of St. Germanus, from a servant he became a king. All his sons were kings, and from their offspring the whole country of Pows has been governed to this day. Note. His name is Catel Drunlu, or Cadel Dernlug, Prince of the Vale Royal, in the upper part of Pows. End of note. After the Saxons had continued some time in the island of Thanet, Vortigern promised to supply them with clothing and provision, on condition they would engage to fight against the enemies of his country. But the barbarians, having greatly increased in number, the Britons became incapable of fulfilling their engagement, and when the Saxons, according to the promise they had received, claimed a supply of provisions and clothing, the Britons replied, Your number is increased. Your assistance is now unnecessary. You may therefore return home, 
for we can no longer support you. And hereupon they began to devise means of breaking the peace between them. But Hengist, in whom united craft and penetration, perceiving he had to act with an ignorant king and a fluctuating people, incapable of opposing much resistance, replied to Vortigern, We are indeed few in number, but if you will give us leave, we will send to our country for an additional number of forces, with whom we will fight for you and your subjects. Vortigern assenting to this proposal, messengers were dispatched to Scythia, where selecting a number of warlike troops, they returned with sixteen vessels, bringing with them the beautiful daughter of Hengist. And now the Saxon chief prepared an entertainment, to which he invited the king, his officers, and Keretic, his interpreter, having previously enjoined his daughter to serve them so profusely with wine and ale, that they might soon become intoxicated. This plan succeeded, and Vortigern, at the instigation of the devil, and enamoured with the beauty of the damsel, demanded her, through the medium of his interpreter, of the father, promising to give for her whatever he should ask. Then Hengist, who had already consulted with the elders who attended him of the Ogu race, demanded for his daughter the province, called in English, Kentland and British, Kent, Kent. This session was made without the knowledge of the king, Goriangonus, who then reigned in Kent, and who experienced no considerable share of grief from seeing his kingdom thus clandestinely, fraudulently, and imprudently resigned to foreigners. Thus the maid was delivered up to the king, who slept with her and loved her exceedingly. Note of the Ugle race, it is said in variant readings, who would come with him from the island of Ugle, Ugle or Tingle, Angle. According to Gunn, a small island in the Duchy of Sleswick in Denmark, now called Angle, of which Flensburg is the metropolis, hence the origin of the Angles. In variant readings, King Gorongonus is Gornum Kono, Goranegono, Gorat Gono, Malmesbury Gorongi, Camden, Gorong, supposed to mean governor or viceroy. End of note. Hengis after this said to Vortigern, I will be to you both a father and an adviser. Despise not my counsels, and you shall have no reason to fear being conquered by any man or any nation whatever. For the people of my country are strong, warlike, and robust. If you approve, I will send for my son and his brother, both valiant men, who at my invitation will fight against the Scots, and you can give them the countries in the north, near the wall called Gual. The incautious sovereign having assented to this, Octa and Abusa arrived with forty ships. In these they sailed round the country of the Picts, laid waste the Orkneys, and took possession of many regions, even to the Pictish confines. Note, the wall called Gual is Antoninus's wall. Regarding the many regions that Octa and Abusa conquered, some manuscripts add, beyond the Frenesic, Fresicom, or Fresic Sea, i.e., which is between us and the Scotch, the sea between Scotland and Ireland. Camden translates it, beyond the Frith. Langhorne says, Solway Frith. End of note. But Hengist continued by degrees, sending for ships from his own country, so that some islands whence they came were left without inhabitants, and whilst his people were increasing in power and number, they came to the above-named province of Kent. In the meantime, Vortigern, as if desirous of adding to the evils he had already occasioned, married his own daughter, by whom he had a son. When this was made known to St. Germanus, he came, with all the British clergy, to reprove him. And whilst a numerous assembly of the ecclesiastics and laity were in consultation, the weak king ordered his daughter to appear before them, and in the presence of all to present her son to St. Germanus, 
and declare that he was the father of the child. The immodest woman obeyed, and St. Germanus, taking the child, said, I will be a father to you, my son, nor will I dismiss you till a razor, scissors, and comb are given to me, and it is allowed you to give them to your carnal father. The child obeyed St. Germanus, and going to his father Vortigern, said to him, Thou art my father, shave and cut the hair of my head. The king blushed and was silent, and without replying to the child, arose in great anger, and fled from the presence of St. Germanus, execrated and condemned by the whole synod. Note, in variant readings, regarding the immodest woman, immodest is omitted in some manuscripts. End of note. But soon after, calling together his twelve wise men, to consult what was to be done, they said to him, Retire to the remote boundaries of your kingdom. There build and fortify a city to defend yourself. For the people you have received are treacherous. They are seeking to subdue you by stratagem. And even during your life, to seize upon all the countries subject to your power. How much more will they attempt after your death? The king, pleased with this advice, departed with his wise men, and travelled through many parts of his territories in search of a place convenient for the purpose of building a citadel. Having to no purpose travelled far and wide, they came at length to a province called Gwynet, and having surveyed the mountains of Heramus, they discovered, on the summit of one of them, a situation adapted to the construction of a citadel. Upon this the wise men said to the king, Build here a city, for in this place it will ever be secure against the barbarians. Then the king sent for artificers, carpenters, stonemasons, and collected all the materials requisite to building. But the whole of these disappeared in one night, so that nothing remained of what had been provided for the constructing of the citadel. Materials were therefore from all parts procured a second and third time, and again vanished as before, leaving and rendering every effort ineffectual. Vortigern inquired of his wise men the cause of this opposition to his undertaking, and of so much useless expense of labor. They replied, You must find a child born without a father, put him to death, and sprinkle with his blood the ground on which the citadel is to be built, or you will never accomplish your purpose. Note, in variant readings, where it says there build and fortify a city, you shall find a fortified city in which you may defend yourself. In variant readings, the province Gwynet is Gwynedd, Goyanet, Guanas, North Wales. In variant readings, the mountains of Heramus are known as Heramai, Heriri, or Eriri, signifying Eagle Rocks, the mountains of Snowdon in Carnarvonshire. The spot alluded to is supposed to be Dinas Emrys, or the fortress of Ambrosius. End of note. In consequence of this reply, the king sent messengers throughout Britain, in search of a child born without a father. After having inquired in all the provinces, they came to the field of Electi, in the district of Glevensing, where a party of boys were playing at ball. And two of them quarrelling, one said to the other, O oh boy without a father, no good will ever happen to you. Upon this the messengers diligently inquired of the mother and the other boys whether he had had a father which his mother denied, saying, In what manner he was conceived I know not, for I have never had intercourse with any man. And then she solemnly affirmed that he had no mortal father. The boy was therefore led away and conducted before Vortigern the king. Note. The field of electi in variant readings is Aledi, Electi, Gletai, supposed to be Basilig in Monmouthshire. 
the district Glevensing is the district between the Uskin Rumney and Monmouthshire. End of note. A meeting took place the next day for the purpose of putting him to death. Then the boy said to the king, Why have your servants brought me hither? That you may be put to death, replied the king, and that ground on which my citadel is to stand may be sprinkled with your blood, without which I shall be unable to build it. Who, said the boy, instructed you to do this? My wise men, answered the king. Ordered them hither, returned the boy. This being complied with, he thus questioned them. By what means was it revealed to you that this citadel could not be built unless the spot were previously sprinkled with my blood? Speak without disguise, and declare who discovered me to you. Then turning to the king, I will soon, said he, unfold to you everything, but I desire to question your wise men, and wish them to disclose to you what is hidden under this pavement. They acknowledging their ignorance, there is, said he, a pool, come and dig. They did so, and found the pool. Now, continued he, tell me what is in it. But they were ashamed, and made no reply. I, said the boy, can discover it to you. There are two vases in the pool. They examined, and found it so. Continuing his questions, what is in the vases? They were silent. There is a tent in them, said the boy. Separate them, and you shall find it so. This being done by the king's command, there was found in them a folded tent. The boy, going on with his questions, asked the wise men what was in it. But they not knowing what to reply, There are, said he, two serpents, one white and the other red. Unfold the tent. They obeyed, and two sleeping serpents were discovered. Consider attentively, said the boy, what they are doing. The serpents began to struggle with each other, and the white one, raising himself up, threw down the other into the middle of the tent and sometimes drove him to the edge of it. And this was repeated thrice. At length the red one, apparently the weaker of the two, recovering his strength, expelled the white one from the tent, and the latter, being pursued through the pool by the red one, disappeared. Then the boy, asking the wise men what was signified by this wonderful omen, and they expressing their ignorance, he said to the king, I will now unfold to you the meaning of this mystery. The pool is the emblem of this world, and the tent that of your kingdom. The two serpents are two dragons. The red serpent is your dragon, but the white serpent is the dragon of the people who occupy several provinces and districts of Britain, even almost from sea to sea. At length, however, our people shall rise and drive away the Saxon race from beyond the sea, whence they originally came. But do you depart from this place where you are not permitted to erect a citadel? I, to whom fate has allotted this mansion, shall remain here, whilst to you it is incumbent to seek other provinces, where you may build a fortress. What is your name? asked the king. I am called Ambrose, and British Ambresgulatic, returned the boy. And in answer to the king's question, what is your origin? He replied, a Roman consul was my father. Then the king assigned him that city, with all the western provinces of Britain, and departing with his wise men to the sinistral district, he arrived in the region named Gwenerai, where he built a city which, according to his name, was called Caer Gorthengern. Note. An ancient scholiast adds, He then built Guasmoric near Lugubalia, Carlisle, a city which in English is called Palmacaster. Some difference of opinion exists among antiquaries respecting the site of Ortegern's castle or city. Usher places it at Gwent, Monmouthshire, which name, he says, was taken from Caer Gwent near Chepstow. This appears to agree with Geoffrey's account. Illegible. See Usher's Britain Ecclesiastics, Cap V, page 23. 
according to others, supposed to be the city from the ruins of which arose the castle of Gurthrenion in Radnorshire, Camden's Britannia, page 479. Whitaker, however, says that Caer-Gorthengern was the Maradunum of the Romans, and the present Caermarthen. History of Manchester, Book 2, Chapter 1. See also Nennius, Section 47. End of Note End of Section 4 